Welcome to the Hope Revolution messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. So, we're continuing with our series in Acts, but there's something that happens when you get into a place of familiarity. And so we've been doing acts for a little while. There's benefits of things that are familiar, and we were joking about this on Friday night, that when you come to a, a Hope Revolution service, you never quite know what you're going to get. Because when a group of people get together, everyone brings a different piece. And so until we're all together, and God's presence, and, 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 and he has things to say too. So between us all, there's always a little bit of unknown. And we describe that as messy church, the, the merging of a bunch of different people. But there's something good about familiar in that it's safe, sort of it's predictable, you know what it is. But the flip side of that is you can also get a bit complacent. And we've reached a point in the series in Acts where we've had a little bit of a pause for a few weeks and Tanya came back two weeks ago and sort of reinitiated our our series in Acts. But we want to be a bit careful that we're not just going through the motions. It's really easy to go, oh yeah, what's the next thing in Acts? What are we doing? Like, we've been doing Acts for a while now. Like, we're talking about the Word of God, for starters, right? So there is nothing mundane, vanilla, average, going through the motions about the Word of God. Um, The Word of God is living and active, and it is life-transforming. And the first week of the little pause, we looked at a verse in Proverbs, that says, where there is no divine revelation, the people wander aimlessly. And so, for starters, I want to go, every time we open this book, it's an opportunity for divine revelation. So, I don't want us to forget that. But, on the flip side of that, there's also different ways that God speaks to us. Sometimes, it's a slap across the face. And it's a wake-up call and it's like, whoa, that's amazing. I've never heard that before. I need to bow down. I need to respond in a dramatic way. And other times, it's a slow nudging burn. It just keeps keeps pushing and nudging and nudging and pushing. And they're both really good. Sometimes it's creative. Sometimes it's analytical. Sometimes it's poetic. Sometimes it's numbers. Yes, yes. There's a book of numbers, even for the accountants. Who would have thought? (laughs) Like, it all adds up to a beautiful picture of divine revelation for us. And so, we've reached a point in Acts where there's there's a significant shift in the book. You'll start hearing language like us. Up until now, you haven't heard the word us or we. And all of a sudden, the language changes and it starts talking about, then we did this and then we did that. It's like, hang on a minute. We, the author, is on this journey. And that's true. Luke, who penned the book, was hanging out with Paul and he wrote the first half about things that he may or may not have been at. And the second half, he's actually talking from personal experience of being on the trip. And so that's one shift. The second shift, which I've alluded to, is we're moving into a couple of missionary journeys of 
Paul's. And their pace is very different to the first half. There's some exciting bits in there, but there's also some pretty long talks. And he says the same thing a few times. Does that make it any less relevant? No. Does that make it a little bit harder to digest? Possibly. But I really want us to come each week because we're not going to just methodically go through the rest of the book. There's a couple of themes we're going to pull out. Tan, Tan's going to summarise the, um, the, the, the journey so that you can understand how the, the pieces fit together. But there's value in going through the rest of the book, but possibly not corporately. So I'd encourage you to read from Acts 15 to the end, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in your own space. And that will absolutely give you better understanding and context for what we're unpacking here. So today I'm going to go verse by verse, but next week we're not. And we're going to mix a little bit of both of those up. But what I don't want to do is get to the point of being complacent and saying, oh yeah, same series, what's the next verse? Let's read it. Okay, what's going on here? Sure, that's nice. And go on with our rest of our leaks. Because this is a book of transformation. It's a book of radical mind-blowing, exactly where Mel started about walking into a room and being overcome by faith and trusting God. That's, this is a book of life. And I really wanna, want us to honour it for that, but also treat it with the respect and the significance that it has. I shared last week a little bit about my wrestle with the Word of God and that there's, there's a couple of things that is good Christian things to do. Read your Bible every day is one of them and that's been really hard for me and there's been seasons where I have read my Bible every day and that's been brilliant and valuable and there's been seasons where I haven't and I don't want to get legalistic but I also don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so the, the challenge for us is to continue to believe that God wants to speak to us, both through divine revelation, through his spirit and through his word, and to have that posture always, um, whether you're reading the Bible every day, three times a week, or at the moment you're just going, Sunday's the only time I get the word. Listen, listen to the word. Every opportunity to get. That was my other dad joke on Friday night. What's the best translation of the Bible? The one you're reading. <laughs> like, the reality is, reading it's really good. I've got a question for you. Simple, but it's a trick question. In one sentence, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Just, I say one sentence because I don't want us to have essays, but just, just in a sentence, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's John 3.16? Go on. Yeah, go on. Go, give it a crack. He gave. Have eternal life. Okay, beautiful. Anyone else want to give it a crack? Come on. If someone walked up to you in the street and said, could, could you tell me what the gospel of Jesus is? 
Surely we can, we can give an answer. Um, go for it, and I'll come to you, Jim. Life. The gospel of Jesus is life. Jim? What's that say? Romans 10, 9 and 10. This person in the street's going to be really confused by that answer. I want stuff that people can understand, tangible. The good news of God. Yep. Cool. Keep going. God making a way for us to have a relationship with Him. Awesome. Thank you. Romans 3.23. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love that people know Bible verses, but what I'm trying to get at, what's the lens through which you understand it? And so if you can't articulate it, then you can't explain what you're thinking. Because we're not talking about going back to the fact that the Word of God is revelation. Love it. But saying a Bible verse doesn't reflect the way I think. God wants to have a relationship with you so much that he's made a way for that to happen. This is, this is how Pete thinks. It's not just a reference to something's written. It's actually the lens through which he understands it. Yeah? Anyone else want to give it a crack? I was going to say the way that God wants us to live. The way God wants us to live. Yep. The good news of Jesus is how God wants us to live. Love. Love. The gospel of Jesus is love. There is hope. This is good. Now, the reason I wanted to push this further than just an exercise is because the passage we're looking at emphasizes, not directly but indirectly, the gospel of Jesus. The whole of Scripture does. But if we don't understand the gospel of Jesus, we end up getting trapped in a lot of different ways with little niggling things and big things. Because at the core of it is the gospel of Jesus. And I would describe the gospel of Jesus as three simple parts. We were broken. The Christianese word for that is sinner. God graciously loved us and provided a solution so we could live the way he designed us to live. Yeah? Three simple parts. Something was broken, that's us. God graciously provided a solution, that's the good news of Jesus. And it means that we get to live the way he intended us to live, which you've described it, that's great, right? We're going to come back to that, so don't forget that idea. But if you do not understand that idea it's really hard to make decisions about life. Because every decision, every relationship, every single action that you make, as we'll see in this passage, leans on our understanding of that. And I'd, I'd love if this week you go away and wrestle with that, going, how do I think about the gospel of Jesus? Let's start in Acts 15. 36. I'm reading from the NLT today. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city 
where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. What's the lens of the gospel there? Love and care. People have done step one and step two. They've recognized their sinners. They've agreed to follow Jesus and receive the gift of God. And he's going, let's go back and encourage them about part three. Yeah? Does this, that make sense? Beautiful. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he travelled throughout Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the church there. Now it gets a little bit awkward. Because Paul had a Barney with Barney. There's a few things that are missing from this argument. Do you see any counsel of other people in this argument? Do you see any asking God, asking the Holy Spirit how to, how to answer these questions? What was the conclusion of their Barney? It was that fierce that they separated. How does that fit through the lens of the gospel? And the answer is there. What step in the three-part process of the gospel were they failing? Step one. What is the conclusion to our sin? What's the answer to sin? Jesus, the world would say, pick a side, back it, set up this gang mentality, have two factions. What did both broken people do? Because they stuffed up. I don't think this was a healthy argument. Because the conclusion was brokenness, yeah? What did the both broken people do? They clung to their pride, yep. They went separate ways and continued their mission. Why? Because their performance isn't the gospel. Their brokenness did not exclude them from ministry, from the ability to serve. Through the lens of the gospel, brokenness looks different. It looks like an opportunity for God to do something, not an opportunity to pull someone down, to reject them. It's not an opportunity to discredit them. Their brokenness did not define their opportunity before God. 
And in fact, and I suspect Luke wanted to throw this in there because this is Matt now, right? This is not the Word of God. I reckon Paul stuffed up pretty bad. And Luke, who ends up on a mission trip with Paul and writing this, goes, by the way, the believers encouraged him and sent him apart. And, and he went on a missions trip that was endorsed by the church just to show that, that he wasn't a complete loser in the situation. <laughs> just a little, little, that's Matt. But the enemy would tell you your weaknesses and your failures mean you are excluded. That is not the gospel. When you look through the lens of the gospel, what did God do in this circumstance? Because if, if there's three parts of the gospel, the first is our brokenness, the second is God's provision, and the third is the fullness of life. What does the fullness of life look in this scenario? What does Paul and Barnabas' brokenness produce? Two mission trips, right? That's what God does. When we come with our brokenness and we submit it to God and they both said, I still believe God's called me to mission, you got double the number of people reached because of their stuff up and God being in the midst of their stuff up. The lens of the gospel makes a big difference to decisions and the outcomes. Let's keep going. Uh, and I'm, You're just going to hear the same thing over and over again. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra where there was a young disciple named Timothy. Anyone? Little alarm bell? Oh, Timothy. Sounds like a familiar name. Paul writes him letters later on. They do missions trips together. This is where they meet. His mother was a Jewish believer but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Now, this is really interesting. Do you remember what Tan spoke on two weeks ago? What was their big debate? What was their huge counsel over? Circumcision. That's right. What was Paul's position in that debate? You shouldn't make people get circumcised to follow Jesus. And he fought vehemently for it. And he's just circumcising a guy. Hang on a minute. What's going on here? Is he a hypocrite? It's actually really quite interesting. So a Jewish mum, a Greek dad, not Jewish. How does a boy get circumcised? Mum's not going to do it, right? Mum doesn't circumcise boys. Men circumcise men, boys, right? There was no opportunity and it's likely, it's ambiguous, but it's likely that dad's actually dead. So dad's not actually on the scene anymore and so you have a widow mum with a son that has no opportunity to finish becoming a Jewish man. And that doesn't matter to Jesus. But why on earth would Paul want to do this? He wants no barriers for people to receive the gospel. And if this is going to be a blockage for the Jews that know Timothy to respect him as a man... 
Then he says, let's do what we can to make this gospel available. What is the middle part of the gospel? God's gracious gift. A loving gift that is undeserved. So Paul is saying, I want every opportunity to the point that Timothy is going to go through a bit of pain, I assume he agreed, to make this an opportunity for people to hear the gospel. Just like God did with us. I will go to whatever it takes so that people can hear. It's not legalistic. There is no requirement. It's a gift of grace. This isn't the gospel being exercised here, but this is a reflection of God's love that is going above and beyond to allow people to hear. This is the gospel. As Paul serves and as Timothy sacrifices, let's put it that way. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the church was strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Gospel, gospel, gospel. Strengthened in their faith, growing. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Pelagria and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. We've already seen Paul stuff up and not, this is me reading between the lines, not lean on the Holy Spirit in making decisions about who to take in your team and get a bit, bit agitated. He was a go-getter, Paul. He was, he was a man that was very driven. And you can see that both in his strengths and his weaknesses. And yet here, you can see the Holy Spirit hasn't deserted him. Holy Spirit is absolutely guiding and redirecting them from places that they should and shouldn't go. Then coming to the borders of Messiah, they headed north for the province of Bithyana. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Messiah to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we, see, we've started to... Luke's starting to add himself in the story. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach. Who's reading? Preach what? The gospel. The good news. What is the Holy Spirit doing here? What are they responding to the Holy Spirit? It's all about the gospel. Don't go there, go here. Here's a vision, his, his permission, his invitation. Their choices are being made revolving around the good news of Jesus. We boarded a boat to Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. These are sort of the passages where they just go whoosh over our heads. I don't know these towns. I assume you don't know them. And we just go blah, blah, blah. 
But why do you think Luke would write this down? It's good documentation, I guess. Just think about what we're talking about here. Through the lens of the gospel, why is it important to talk about this? Yeah. The gospel is not just an idea. There are people's lives that are at stake here. And he is documenting every place where they preached the gospel, where they spread the word, where they traveled, because each of those places represent people experiencing the gospel. This is about lives. The gospel is about people's lives. Neapolis is a place where people need to hear about Jesus. Philippi is a place where people need to hear about Jesus. You wouldn't bother documenting places you didn't care about. And they're documenting places because it matters. The people of those towns matter. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. Now, we immediately go, alarm bells, they're talking to women. It's actually not that weird because to have a synagogue, you have to have 10 blokes. I don't think there were 10 men in this city to form a synagogue. So it was actually normal to go outside of the city and gather to meet for prayer. You can't do the full things that you would do in a synagogue, but at least you can gather. And so it was a bunch of women because they didn't have enough men to make a proper synagogue. So it's not actually that surprising. And they were, they were expecting to go out to the riverbank and find something. But that's where there's no synagogue, that's what happens. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptised along with other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home and she urged us until we agreed. Beautiful gospel story. Lydia has heard and received. And what does she want to do out of her transformed life? She wants to be generous. She wants to give. She wants to serve. She wants to be thankful. So good. It's beautiful. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day. She's tagging along with them, calling them out, telling, them, telling everyone what, what spiritually she's seeing. Day after day, until... Paul got so exasperated. Is anyone reading another version? What does yours say? Aggravated. Aggravated? Annoyed. Annoyed? He got pissed off. 
that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Hang on a minute. Did Paul have good motives? Not really. What happened? He snapped and God moved in power still. Uh Uh-oh, that doesn't fit in our heads. Our performance brains go, that shouldn't happen. How can an annoyed Paul have the anointing of God on him? How is that possible? What's the answer? It's the same answer I've said for everything else. Our part of the picture is we're broken. God's part of the picture is that he provides the answer. The answer was never in Paul in the first place. He was always a broken person and everything good about his life, the power that he had was not his in the first place anyway. His performance as a a Pharisee achieved nothing. And Paul says that himself. Everything I did to be perfect before God was like dirty rags compared to the grace of Jesus in my life. When you look at your brothers and sisters in this room and their brokenness, why are you surprised? Why does it frustrate you? Why does it disappoint you? Because you're not looking the way the gospel looks at people because the gospel says, of course, that's how they are in their own strength. Everybody needs Jesus as their solution, not their own strength and their own working. I love that we see Paul's brokenness in ministry. Both of these stories, both of these times of of Paul getting annoyed at Barnabas and them having a serious disagreement that they separated, which by the way, Just to fill in the punchline, we see later that Paul actually talks up John Mark. He says, I love John Mark and I love what he's doing. So there is restoration, right? It doesn't stay this way forever. But I would say that's because of the grace of God on Paul's life. Not because Paul had a light bulb moment and was really smart. It's because he lived knowing where his strength comes from and that's not him. All his performance wasn't good enough. And I love the beautiful picture these these little snippets paint of the fact when you look at things the way the world looks at things, you see brokenness. When you look at the things the way God looks at things, you see possibility. You see potential. You see an opportunity for healing. I'm not going to keep reading, but the conclusion of Paul snapping is that the owners of this slave girl obviously aren't very happy. Their revenue stream goes away. And Paul ends up in prison.
some of you may know the story, but just imagine if we transform our perspective from being trying to do the right thing and ending up in prison, what's the world's perspective on that? Trying to love people, sure he snapped, but he did a good thing for the girl. Surely this conclusion is riches and blessing and grand things. The world looks at this scenario as failure. Ending up in prison for loving people enough to go on a mission trip. And he names how far and where he's gone. He's, he's travelled a fair way to do this. And the conclusion is to end up in prison. What's the world's perspective on that? Loser! You better cancel him off your Facebook page. Because there's nothing popular about Paul right now. Time and time and time and time and time again, the lens of the gospel is the focus of Paul's decision-making. It's the focus of his life, the framework of how he lives. And so without even knowing, does anyone not know what happens in this story? And I'm not trying to expose you because I'd love to just for you to guess. Does anyone not know what happens? Yep, brilliant. I'm very appreciative of that. What do you guess happens to Paul when he ends up in prison? He prays to be free. Awesome, love it. Yeah, he prays to be free. It's amazing because as humans, as people, without the lens of the gospel, there's a whole heap of ending this story that look pretty yuck. But when God is the middle part of the gospel, our brokenness, he snapped, kind of did the wrong thing, sort of, maybe not, right? But the gospel is centred around God giving gifts that are not, not deserved. And so God uses a broken situation to do something spectacular. Every single time, God uses broken things generously, abundantly, without deserving, steps in and creates miraculous results. You can go and read the result for yourself. My point is, we don't do this. We don't read it this way, let alone look at our lives this way. We look at these circumstances and we measure humanly Paul's performance and his failures. Wins and losses suffering and benefit. We have all these scales of measuring what good looks like and it's not the good news of Jesus. And, and I think we have an opportunity as we look at these little snippets but also look at the snippets of our lives 
and go, I want to reorient myself the way I think, the way I make decisions, to make them through the lens of the gospel. Because that's what God's done for me. And if it's good enough for God to look at me that way, then it's good enough for me to make my decisions and look at other people that way. Doesn't mean it's always easy. And as I said, I love that Paul stuffs it up. Because you know what brokenness means? Brokenness means needing God. And the first person that says they're not broken is the person that says they don't need God. And the second and the third. But anyone that says they're not broken is someone that doesn't need God. And so broken is not a bad place. Broken is a place that needs the gospel. And it completely revolutionizes the way you think and the way you relate to people. People that annoy you, people that are, that are barriers to you getting where you want to get to in life. People that have maybe created hurt or pain in your life. Opportunities and disappointments. Successes and failures. The big one I want to start with is how you look at your own failures. Because I think that's actually really significant for our culture, for, our, for this room. How do you see your failures makes a big difference on how you act. And I think there's people in this room who see themselves as disqualified from being everything God wants them to be because they've stuffed up, because I've stuffed up, because you've stuffed up. And that is not the way God looks at you. It is normal to stuff up. The new normal is to allow God to transform that space not for you to crawl yourself out of through penance and through, you know, labor. You cannot climb out of the hole that you've created. You cannot make it right. You need a savior. All your efforts are not enough. But on the flip side of that, you are not disqualified because God has not disqualified you. And if God hasn't disqualified you, then don't you dare disqualify yourself. He has a missions trip for you. He has a plan and a purpose that is good that he has not disqualified you from. Do not believe the lie that says you are not worthy, you are not capable, you are not equipped, you are not. You never were. Yeah. The lie is that you can't engage, you can't participate, you can't 
belong, you can't make a difference. That's the lie because God never expected you to do that on your own. He was always going to provide the answer for that. And that is the gospel. That is the lens through which we should look at ourselves and look at our circumstances. And I could go through every single passage in the whole of Acts and point out the gospel to you. But I hope you get the point from just these little examples that the gospel is life transforming because of God, not because of us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the, for the testimony of Paul, Lord God. We thank you for sharing with us his stuff-ups as well as his successes, Lord God. Lord, we can relate to both. But greater than that, Lord, I just thank you for the way that your gospel comes alive through the life of Paul, his mistakes, his failings, and his conviction, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that we can see what it means to believe in you and to trust in you through the life of Paul. Holy Spirit, I pray you would do a new work in each of us, Lord. Lord, for those sensitive areas where we have condemned ourselves. Lord, for the areas where we gave it a crack and it didn't go to plan. Lord, I pray for the things that might have been spoken over us, Lord God, in our weakest moments. Holy Spirit, I would pray that you do a new work of restoration in our hearts, Lord God. Where we have been lied to, where we have deceived ourselves even, Lord. I pray that your Spirit would reinitiate the things that you have said that you have started the good work that you have started in our lives Lord I pray that you would restore the dreams the visions the passions the excitement of receiving the gifts that you've given Lord Lord, I pray you would increase our faith to believe that you are a generous, good God that provides. Lord, I pray that you would help us trust you with the gospel that you offer and not the good news of the world, Lord God, which ends up in defeat. Lord, help us believe. Lord, it is all about you and not about us. So I pray you would help us surrender today and each day this week as we look at our circumstances through the lens of the gospel where you are our provider, God. You are our restorer. You are our redeemer. You are our life. You are our rejoicing. You are our hope. 
and you are our purpose. Restore those things in our hearts, Lord God, that we might reflect you and your goodness to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hoperevolution.church.